0: Hello, I hope you're all doing well and yes, we're back to talk about lots of interesting things in this episode. I have a special guest with me and I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, Tristan, how are you doing?
1: Hello, how are you? Thank you very much for uh, for having me tonight and I'm very glad to be able to talk to your audience and to be here. For introduction, I'm Tristan Morenzi and I'm the Executive chairperson and founder of Randa. I want. I was born in 1997, so which means today I'm 25, and in August I'll be turning 26. And I've been um, the chairperson of Randa. I want um, since 2015. I founded Rwanda I want when I was uh, 17 years old. I was a high school student, and um, and with my friends we decided to to try to play a role in in, in building the Rwanda that we want. Um I am an economist uh, I did economics in university more specifically monetary economics at the University of Rwanda in Huyé and more personally I'm, uh, I think I'm, I'm I'm a family person I'm, I'm so much interested in the family because I think I, I am what I am today because of the family structure I am what I am today because I think I came from a functional family so this is why I'm so much interested in family I don't have a family of my own yet uh, I'm not married uh, and uh and I hope that um, soon I'll be, maybe, uh, because I think the family structure is the most important thing um, in life, in my
0: perspective. Yes. And uh, I'm um by, by faith. Yes, you just talked about you, Tristan, right now, but just go back a little bit when you were young, let's say, as a seven-year-old, as a 10, before you started the organization, who was Tristan? What were you interested in why did you spend most of your time
1: Well I I think I was um I was a, a kid like any other kid who grew up in Kigali I I was actually going to school nearby my my house here in Kituchiro. and um, well I, I think I was I was a kid like other kids uh, I was playing around and um, you know living life as I'm supposed to be living it And as an adolescent I think I was more of a stubborn adolescent I, I think I, I in a way wanted to explore new things so when you're exploring sometimes you see good things you see bad things um, because life is not about you know a straight line sometimes we, we have to go right sometimes we have to go left but what's the most important is to learn from all experiences so I think it's very important to live our age the, you know like the way we're supposed to live our age if you're an adolescent Live your life as an adolescent. If you're an adult, live your life as an adult. Like it's not good when adolescents lives live lives lives of um, adults or when adults lives uh, live lives of um of adolescents. So it's it's better when when people live their age because um what's bad is to do the mistakes that are you know irreparable in a sort of way that uh, you can't repair these mistakes, but. If if there are mistakes you can do and be able to repair them, you can do them, because um, we learn from that. We learn from these experiences, and we become better. In my perspective,
0: I uh, I understand that, but given that you just say that you started your organization, which we're going to now um, talk about um, at seventeen, that's that's mm-hmm. really a very young age. So mm. now your whole founder or a chairperson of Randa we want and first of all mm-hmm. how does it feel because this is a very big responsibility how did the idea come about
1: well as I said Randa want when we started Randa want with my friends we didn't have an intention of creating an organization I think at 17 I didn't even know what NGOs do to be honest with you it was just a club of discussion you know uh, whereby I would sit with my friends during our free time because I was in a school, you know, in Rwanda, when we were in A level, in, in, in advanced level, we, we choose a section whereby we have three or four courses. So we have too much free time. So I was like, in this free time, instead of doing nonsense, you can just sit. And in a way, you find a place or a platform to dream together because I think people don't give, you know, importance to dreaming together, but I think dreaming together with people is important because it means instead of just uh, you know sitting down there and just living that moment, I think it's also good to come and sit and you, these are my dreams uh, and then and then you also tell me your dreams and I think this is what forms the dreams of an entire nation. So when I was doing that, I didn't know that it was going to shape something bigger. Obviously, it was a club of discussion whereby we would discuss about our dreams, discuss about the run that we want, and obviously uh, we also wanted to learn about leadership we Wanted to learn about leadership theories and uh, and then and then and then in a way learn from them. But obviously, I, we, I was young and my friends were young. I was young and naive. Little did I know that you know what we're doing was not enough in a country like ours. So I was born in, in a family of uh, of mental health practitioners. My mother was a mental health practitioner and my father was a mental health practitioner. And then my dad passed away in 2016. And then when he passed away, I I um for me it was it was hard, but it was also a moment to reflect on the work my dad was doing. So in, in my perspective, I wanted in a way to also continue the legacy that he had started, uh, of, of, of dealing with people. But it was also a reminder that we cannot work on preparing the next generation of leaders, which was what Furander Want was doing at the time, without working on the healing side first, because we, we grew up in a, in, a, in a country that had a lot of wounds and people were wounded and they didn't know they were wounded, mostly the post-genocide generation, young people born after the genocide. They were wounded without knowing they were wounded, which is even more dangerous. So I think we had to work on the healing side and then and then later work on the reconciliation side because we were born in a post-genocide nation to be able to, 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 to have a more holistic approach, if I may call it like that. So obviously, When I when I founded Randa, I did not have all this in mind. I did not have you know understand all of this. Like you know, uh, we have to do the healing side, and then and after the healing side, do the reconciliation uh, part, and then after the reconciliation part, we do the empowerment part. I didn't understand that. We learned by doing, which is why I when people say you know how does it feel to be the chairperson? how does it feel to be a founder i think i, I don't know how it feels because in, in a sort of way i grew up doing this so I, you know because because i was I was an adolescent when i started at the age of 17 in a way me and the team were growing with it and and then we were learning and we were not afraid to make mistakes we would do mistakes and then and 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 then learn from them but most importantly we were we were always ready to receive advices from people and we were also ready to receive critics from people telling you know this is what should be right, this is what should be wrong. But obviously, we I think we had our own beliefs in a way that we had to respect, but it was also important to hear other people's perspective. So it's more of a journey uh, that, you know, we figured out most of the things um on the way. So which is why I want to tell young people sometimes you don't know the end, you don't have the end in your mind when you're starting. But what is what is really important is to start. Uh like for instance, um, you told me you you live in Italy. When I started Round I want in, in with my friends in glory, little did I know that Rando I want was also going to be organizing events in Italy, for instance, and then uh, two years ago we organized our very first event in Rome. And then I, I remember uh, the event we organized in Rome was the very first event when I was was organizing abroad. At the end of the event, I thought, "Wow, you know, something that actually started in a classroom is now doing a sort of impact, if I may call it like that, in a country that is on another continent." And then. Six months later, uh, we, we we did what we call um, an impact assessment report. And then doing that report, I, I realized the impact it had done on the young people who had been there in the event. And then I was like, wow, I think an impact was done by a club that was formed in high school that later, of course, became an organization. But this is to tell you that, you know, I never thought RandeWant was going to to, to do events in Italy, to, to, to make an impact in Italy or elsewhere. Not, I think even Italy is, is really far away. I didn't even think we were going to do an impact beyond Kigali because I was, you know, I was born in Kigali. But we, we ended covering all provinces of the country and now the diaspora. So And obviously, we didn't know all of, the, all of this when we were starting. We, we figured out little by little.
0: I think I love that so much because most of the times we're so much afraid about what's going to happen next rather than, you know, sitting with yourself and say, okay, I am willing to grow with this idea. So let me just start. And you just talked about your mother and your father being, um, let's say, therapists therapist or working in that process of helping randoms heal. And I just thought of something, which is, yes, for them, they were doing it from, uh, let's say, a professional point of view. But you, you're doing it as a club that started out of a classroom, out of friendships out of so didn't you have that insecurity of you know thinking okay maybe for them yes my father was this big person in in our country in Rwanda but then he had a professional background how you let's say with your friends were you able to go past that saying this is our passion this is our goal this is our mission even though we do not know we do not have professional uh, let's say Basis on helping Rwandans heal.
1: Well, th- there is something you should know. In a country like ours, which is a post-dissident nation, everyone is invited to contribute in a sort of way. Not only invited, is is in a way requested to 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 actually contribute. Because uh, in a country that has been destroyed, that has you know literally seen chaos, it's important that all spheres of the population try to do something, even though it may not be big. There was a word in in French, I mean, a saying in French that my dad always used to repeat, uh, which which, which goes like, um, rien ne peut suffire face à une abomination de cette taille, le tout est de faire quelque chose. He meant that um, nothing is ever sufficient in a country like ours, in a context like ours. What's important is to do something. So I think uh, growing up, with my friends and, and many other young runners, because I'm not the only one doing this kind of work. And Rwanda One Want is not the only organization this, doing this kind of work. But everyone is invited to play their role. May, may it be little as it may be. And, uh, and and then we may not know everything, but at least in the small things we know, we could try to help this country. We, tr- we could, in a way, uh, play our role, little or big. And then going on the healing side, I, I always like to tell people that, you, of course, there is. there are stages whereby we need professionals, professional caregivers in, 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 in mental health. But at least we can be good friends. What do I mean by we can be good friends? Like we can be good members of the community. Whenever your friend is feeling lonely, th- th- does it require you uh, a bachelor's degree in psychology or a master's degree in psychology to be able to have that listening ear? To be able to listen to someone without you know there is an issue that, that that young people are you know facing whenever we're listening to people we are always expecting to give them, to give them an answer we don't always have to listen with the objective of giving an answer sometimes you can have to listen for the sake of listening for the sake of understanding someone else's feelings not always trying to prove our point like in a sort of way I'm listening to my friend and I'm and I'm thinking about a very brilliant answer I'm going to give no you don't need to do that at least we, we all need that friend who listens to us who values our feelings who values how we feel and most importantly who does not belittle our our sufferings because sometimes I'm like you know people are are, are telling uh, their friends you know I'm suffering because of this or that and of course they, they want to compare their suffering and they'll be like you know I've, I've I've suffered more than that and I've been more resilient yes resilience is good however people are vulnerable we are not robots sometimes we are having our good days or our bad days so what I meant with all of this is telling people that let's have that listening gear it does not require a degree obviously we cannot auto medicate ourselves or or give medication to other people but at least we can listen to them we can hear them we can make them feel valued and we can make them feel heard I think it's very important it doesn't require a degree to do that
0: Wow, wow. Yeah. And this should be a go ahead to every young Rwandan or friends of Rwanda to take up space and, you know, just go on with whatever idea that is to serve our community. But before we continue, I want to break down what Rwanda We Want does. And you correct me where you hear any mistakes, because I think this is a mm-hmm. very wonderful idea that probably some people do not know about. So. Rwanda, we want a few that I know about it, is an organization that empowers youth in lots of Mm -hmm. different areas. For example, I know you have a program of Tiraro, which is Mm -hmm. translated as bridge, as a bridge, like a real bridge, and it's there to bridge the youth and their ambitions. Through guiding them, inspiring them, motivation by using different kinds of professionals to, you know, through conversations. And then there is Mm. Rangurura. Which is more about um, uh, public speaking skills, helping young people. And yes, it's translated in English as Raise Your Voice. And then there is, which is I like Care in English, and it focuses on disabled, marginalized um, youth. Or also, I know you provide financial support to their academics and maybe their daily lives in different families. And then there is, Umuraji which is an in- Inheritance in English, and this is the area that we're going to focus on because it, it takes us back to what happened in our country, especially in 1994, and maybe there has before, but also there is To Be which is a campaign, and um, it mainly focuses on raising awareness on uh, sexuality or sexual reproductive health through conversations again then i come back to this activity that you do through inheritance and i know you have a lot of conferences conversation around um our country how to be rebuild our country and as you said there is that part of healing as i said in the beginning there are so many people who are still wounded who are still burdened but what happened to them in 1994 and they asked before because you see that um Politics in that time were not good. Um, I want to understand what process, because I know you, are, you have a way you approach families, you tell them to talk about it, because you cannot heal from something that you also, let's say, not able to understand, because some people do not know that they even have this problem, let's say trauma or, you know, they just think there's maybe nobody to even help them understand. So I want you to take us through the process. How do you find the families? How do you engage in people to actually leave their homes and come help those kind of families? How are you able to to do that, to approach them and say, you know, um, maybe you have a problem in this or how do you handle this in these times or how do you think this has affected you? Yeah, so if you can take us through the process, just a summary.
1: Well, as I told you before, um, we learn by doing. So the thing is, you know, when we talk about these issues of memory and memory transmission and, and, and you know, memory transmission through the family structure, when we started, we, we were organizing what you call intergenerational dialogues, you know, and then these intergenerational dialogues were there to be able to talk about history, to talk about the healing journey that people are going through. But actually, the way we're doing it, we're just inviting random people on the hill to come and discuss about this history. Obviously, that it, it had its own impact, its own impact. But as I told you, we kept we kept on learning, and we realized that bringing people from, you know, from different families to come and talk about memory, to talk about healing without being in their own family structure, was not enough because whenever someone is healed but is from a dysfunctional families, they relapse again. So with Interpeace, uh, which is our partner, we started what we call the multifamily healing spaces, which were doing almost the same work as what was being done in the intergenerational dialogues. However, we're doing it with families, through the family structure. And then whenever we start, we start by the communication side, whereby we, we, we ask families and then we give a sort of protocol or a manual to families to in a way help them understand the importance of communication in the family because so many people don't understand the importance of communication in the family and then and then when there is no communication in the family there cannot be healing in the family because healing starts from the conversation within the family structure so and then and then when we, we are from the communication but how do we communicate without hurting each other how do we value validate all members of the family so this is what we've been doing through the family structure. And then I think it has been really successful. It was my first time to ever see families together. And then they're not saying, you know, we were healed because Rwanda I want was here. We were healed because Interpeace was here. No, no, it's the other way around. We were healed because the family was able to sit together and talk about what was not going well in the family and talk about history in the family and talk about what happened. Actually, give a give meaning to what happened uh, in, 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 in the family. So it was really important in um, in my perspective and what made me really happy about this program and what really excites me about it because we are still doing it is that whenever we are towards the end of the program, families are always proud of the work they did, not the work we did. We just empower them to do better. We, we don't do anything for the family apart from giving the right tools and, uh, and then helping them, in a way accompanying them because... I do think that Rwandans in a, in their own way have their potential. We just have to give a little push for them to be able to move uh, further.
0: This is a great work and something that has that has been going on at least on different social media platforms is having the youth. For example, say lots of people say we've never had this time with my family sitting and actually hearing from my direct mother or father them telling me what actually happened in 1994 or the years before so congratulations on this it's really surprising to see young people engaged in that because we maybe um, expect this from people who are older than us or who were there in that time so it's a great initiative and there is actually a book that uh, was launched last week i think and I, I i followed it online so i saw you there it's called transmitting memories in rwanda so from an older generation to our generation which was not there and do you find any similarities between the book and what you're doing
1: well uh first of all i'm, I'm, I'm very proud that um survivors themselves are trying to are, are are starting to give us tips on what to do to transmit memory because when we're talking about the transmission of memory, uh, it's important when we are given the tips by the holders of that memory. So obviously, I've not, I'm not, I've not yet uh, started reading it. I've been in the launch, but um, but already have the book and will be able to read it soon. But from the author, I, I, even the reason to which he, he wrote that book was in a way to teach himself how to talk to his daughter and to his son about what happened during the genocide without actually hurting them. Uh, in a way, trying to explain what happened, but being cautioned that we are, take, we are telling this to children. I think it's very important. And, and I think it, it, it it's an honor for us to be able to, to read these kind of books because they were written by people who saw the most dangerous atrocities, but yet were very resilient. Uh, but on the other hand, um, we've been um, we've been working with um, with different people to tell us how to be able to transmit memory through the family structure. Actually, we are organizing the very first national conference in Rwanda, and, and then the right of that book will be there, even for himself to be able to tell us what to do, because there is n- there is no formula of transmit of transmission of memory. It's more of each family is special in its own way, and I think that during the conference we'll be able to learn and maybe find answers
0: yeah and thank you for that because it shows how committed your team is because i was so surprised when i saw you in the video i was like yes yes this is the team the team itself is the one that we want to see We've just now talked about how you approach families, how you help them heal by, you know, um, helping them have conversation over things that were hard for them. And I once heard you talk about the confidential part of those kind of conversations, but as you said, as an organization, you instead need funds or to carry out those kind of activities. So how are you able to balance? What do you tell, let's say, Um, people who want to invest in your organization or confidential part of that healing process
1: first of all i think if we're here to make money we'll be in business not not in ngo Uh, which is why the most important thing um, is to make sure that our beneficiaries get the right tools they need to be better because when they are better not only does it make uh, our communities better, but it makes us better. Because uh, if the community is a broken community, if a family is a broken family, of course, it raises not good citizens. And when a country is filled with bad citizens, obviously, we are going to cause. So I think it's very important to make sure that we do the work we do the right way. So on the confidentiality part, yes, there, there is this um, aspect whereby NGOs have to take pictures of everything they do, which is good. But the thing is that it has a sort of limit. For instance, um, you know, there is stigma around healing in itself. There is stigma around families going through te- therapy. So obviously, uh, we've had discussions with our partners, for instance. It's even part of the protocol in itself, the way it's written, the protocol of the multi-family healing spaces, whereby we never take pictures we never record audios of these sessions what we do actually is that at the end on the graduation day when the people wish we can we we photograph we do it but obviously sometimes people forget that these people they're exposing are people who have children are people who have a future are people who are going to be leaders of tomorrow and then in a way you see their pictures or i don't know their their voices of when they're going through the therapy so in a way people tend some people tend to concentrate more on fundraising instead of doing the work in itself and then and then it backfires so for me and for my team we believe that the most important thing is to do the work the right way we should do it and for the funds eventually they come because i don't think round i want is facing any financial problem just because we we decided to make some sort of programs confidential because there are some other programs which we publish so much for instance our programs on mentorship our programs on empowerment obviously we, we make we we, we we make good pictures from these programs we make good videos from these programs but some programs need confidentiality because whenever you feel uh, safe you start your healing journey but if you don't feel safe and you feel you know i'm doing this but i'm being photographed i'm being people are you know, are here to take pictures instead of listening to my story. It doesn't have an impact. At the end of the day, you go back to the beginning whereby we have people who can talk about their issues and you have dysfunctional families. And if you have dysfunctional families, we cannot have a functional nation because everything starts from the family structure.
0: That's strength, that's courage. Because again, yes, it's true that you're a non-governmental organization or you don't do this for money. But again, when... An organization is facing some financial crisis. People are really, you know, driven into how can we raise funds? But if you don't really...
1: I want to add on something on that. Actually, uh, and in a way, this is a message to young people starting uh, this kind of work in in non-government organizations. Uh, the, The first thing is that if the work is having its impact, the community will know. If the community knows, the local leadership will know. If the local leadership knows, the national leadership will know. And then everyone will know that you guys are making an impact. So you don't need, I think in my whole life, I've never went on TV or or organized an event and tell people, you know, we need money. We are fundraising for this or that. And eventually we are still, we're still able to function without any financial problems, if I may say. And I think it's due to the fact that we believe in the work we do. We don't need to to scream on on, on every occasion we get to say to people, we need money, we need money. I mean, the thing is, this work is important. When work is important, the money comes. Obviously, there are strategies to be able to to bring money on board, including writing good proposals and writing good reports about the work you do, the money comes. But the fact of people selling sad stories to be able to get money is unethical in my perspective the the the, for instance we go we we take these families we say you know look at a vulnerable family we need money to be able to help it it's not right because these are people these are people who have feelings these are people who have who have a life and who have a privacy to protect so i think i think it's really bad to be able to sell other people's stories Uh, because at the end of the day if we make an impact the impact will make the fundraising we needed to do we don't need to say the impact will say it for itself
0: thank you i think this organization is also an example to lots of others who may be let's say uh facing financial crisis so one thing that i got from what you said is focus on the purpose of the organization and then everything else we make its own way and you've just told me or us, that in any case, people will know, people will realize that you're making an, a good impact. Uh, but have there been any negative feedback or discouraging feedback? towards what you do as an organization? Yes, you're now supported on a local level, on a national level, maybe, but any kind of discouraging feedback so far?
1: Okay, of course, negative feedbacks are there. Uh, Whenever you're doing this kind of work, some people are saying, you know, what you're doing is not what you're supposed to be doing. But to be honest with you, I cannot, even up to now, I can't quote any negative quote because I tend to forget it on purpose. Because if it's a critic... Positive criticism, like you know, you're not doing this right. I think you should be doing this way. Of course, I take that and we try to correct what you're doing. But if it's just someone saying, you know, what you're doing is bad, and you say, Okay, it's bad, but how do you correct it? And then there is literally no people are criticizing for just the sake of criticizing. So why should we even listen to, to, to why should we even listen to these kind of people? I think we should more concentrate on the positive part of life. I think life is filled with Sad things already. So why memorize these sad things? And yet there are so many good things about about what we're doing. There are so many good things about about the work we're doing. There is so many good things about about the impact we've had in the in the past. So to be honest with you, I don't concentrate on the on the negative part of, of, of all of this. And I think it we should always be like that. Obviously, it hurts in the in the present when someone tells you a negative comment. You know, like for instance, I remember. Uh, there is a, there was a comment. Someone was posting about the work we we're doing with some other NGOs. And I remember I was reading the comments and I comment was like, you know, I don't know why, t- why you keep on hyping these guys. Anyway, they are overrated. And I remember I read that. I was like, okay, I think maybe this person is frustrated in their own ways because why would you say people are overrated or underrated? Who are you to rate people at the end of the day? So, but in my perspective, I tend to, to, to memorize the comments where people are like, you know, keep it up. It's good. It makes us move. But if you tend to to listen to this negative criticism, which does not have any sense, it will drag you down. And if it drags you down, you won't be able to do the work you're doing, whether you're in business, whether you're in politics or anywhere, whatever work you're doing. Learn from people who want to teach you. Learn from people who want to give you criticism for you to do better. But don't listen to people who just criticise you for the sake of
0: criticising you. That's very true. And honestly, if I am to say as se, when I heard, for example, when I saw what was going online during the commemoration week this, this whole month, I just uh, realised I was... Immediately, when I saw some parents' messages saying it's really hard for us to tell stories, when I heard people say most of uh, what I know about Rwanda is what I got from class, I thought about Rwanda, Wanda, and specifically this program called Inheritance. That was what was in my mind. So I hope you guys are encouraged when you see those kind of messages it's of course a lack of knowledge and how you know do we bridge this uh, gap between those who saw things happening and those who don't know anything this is where Rwanda We Want becomes a bridge. It's really wanted. And I was like, why is it a non-government? It should be a government organization because this is something lots of families want. I personally, if I had a family, I would consult you. So I hope you're encouraged and you're supported in every way that is possible. And this brings me to the last question. How would you like to be supported from people in Rwanda, those who are out of Rwanda? I just talked about that fact that you're also um, expanding it to areas which are around Rwanda those are very far from Rwanda so how would you like to be supported as an organization
1: first of all in a way to 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 complement what you've been saying is that um, first of all the government is already doing a lot in in terms of, of 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 trying to help families to heal I think this is our role at the civil society to in a way Complement the government in its efforts. Uh, we are partners of the government, and, uh, and and as partners of the government, I think it's important to to see. Okay, they've maybe not reached this area. We can reach it uh, instead of you know duplicating or something of the kind. So in terms of support, I I, I think the most important thing is uh, to be honest. Um, the biggest support I think we could receive is not really from the donors or from government or from anywhere else, but it's from the young people. Uh, in the last two weeks, I was surprised. Um, I, I, rem- I was writing a policy brief on the role of young people in um, in national unity. And then, and then part of the policy brief, I wanted to consult all youth NGOs that are working on peace building, on healing and on family structure. And then I remember I asked my office to give me a list of these NGOs, and I realized there were only four that work on that, like NGOs that are led by post-genocide youth, like in a way by young people. And in the four, uh, Rwanda I Want included, there was only one that was led by, by a girl, unfortunately. Uh, and and then, and then I was like, I think if we're more, the work will be easier. I don't want to tell people, you know, we the support we need is we need money or what. I think we need more initiative to be able to because Rwanda Want cannot, you know, be in all parts of the country. We cannot be in all parts of the diaspora. But if we had more, we already have some, but if we had more, uh, and then I think, and, and I think this is to tell young people that there is still so much work to do in healing. There is still much work to do in, 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 in this reconstruction journey that we're doing. There is still much more to be done than in empowerment. So I'm, I'm actually calling on young people to have initiatives uh, whether they are social businesses whether they're, whether they're ngos to come and and, and be able to to complement us and, and and to be able to start the new things instead of just being here and, and calling partners you know to come and and give us money I'm, I'm actually here trying to call young people to start initiatives and and mostly young people in the diaspora because at least for us here in Rwanda we have so many spaces whereby we can learn about our history whereby we can support each other peer-to-peer but i like I had the opportunity to meet the diaspora, the Rwandan diaspora in different parts of Africa, in different parts of Europe, in different parts of Asia, in different parts of America. And I realized there are no initiatives, you know, they are, but there are few uh, that actually bring young Rwandans together. Mostly, the post side youth to talk about this history of fires, to talk about the healing side. To, you know, and 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 the biggest support you could give us, you guys in the diaspora, is is actually to start initiatives there and then do the work and then and then obviously wherever Rwanda wants is able to support, will be able to support this kind of organizations. Of course, we don't have too much means, but I remember. My father used to say a word in Kinyaranda that 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 that, that is very powerful. ariko which means we don't have everything. We don't have. We are not very rich, but we have a big heart. Uh, so I think uh, when we can't give resources, we can give advices. When we can give advices, we can at least uh, say you know keep it up which is a word that that helps sometimes whenever people are feeling down, and someone tells them keep it up wow. it's important so the biggest support you can receive from you guys is, is 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 to have more initiatives like 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 these
0: ones in random. and I love the fact that you're you're willing to help those who are gonna start initiatives I'm personally inspired and I am very grateful that we just had this conversation I hope those who will hear from you will also approach you want to take part in lots of other activities that you are engaged in as an organization and yeah let's keep in touch you or those who want to also start initiatives they can reach out to you through your instagram and same with twitter and yeah let's just uh or those who don't have anything who think they're not able to do anything they can of course say keep it up or just come for encouragement as you just said. Thank you. Thank you for accepting my invitation and thank you for what you're doing with your whole team. Personally, I don't want to say an investor, but this is a great project. This is a great program organization that every Rwandan should actually support because we need that. We need that from our families, as a society, as a community, and I hope you guys will be able to get all the support that you deserve. You're doing a great work let no one tell you otherwise and yeah i support it's you perfect. and i love what you do thank bye
1: you bye. keep up the good work as well